Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. The announcer just mentioned about 2 John verse 9, how we have to abide in the teaching or the doctrine of Christ to have God to be saved. And that may explain why this program is a little bit different than other religious programs you may hear on the radio waves because we actually believe that verse, that if you don't abide in the teaching, the doctrine of Christ, you don't have God where it seems like almost all the other preachers out there are saying that even if you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, you still have God. You're still going to be saved. So then because that's true, because Second John verse 9 is true, in spite of the fact that almost everybody doesn't really believe it's true, <laughs> you didn't really mean that, did you, God? Uh, because that's true, then we have a responsibility as teachers of the gospel to warn folks. Now, this same thing is found in Acts chapter 20. It's also a New Testament concept, but I like the way Ezekiel 3.18 puts this concept. It says, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at that hand. That explains why this program takes on the shape the way it takes it. I mean, because people are not abiding in the teaching of Christ, most religious people, most people who claim to be Christians are not abiding in the teaching of Christ, then this passage, along with what we said in Acts chapter 20, says that I have to warn, that it's my responsibility to warn. I mean, I should want to warn folks because I love them. We warn folks because we love them. We don't want them to be lost because they're, following false doctrine. If the blind lead the blind, both shall fall in the ditch, Jesus says in Matthew 15, 14. And this verse makes it pretty serious because it says, if I don't warn them, as I have opportunity, Ezekiel 3, 18, their blood will God require at my hand. I'll be lost for not warning others who are not abiding in the teaching of Christ that if they continue in that course, there, they don't have God. They're going to be lost. People want, they what they really want me to do, most want me to get on this program and just say everybody's fine just like they are. <laughs> but the Bible teaches I can't do that because your blood will be required at my hand. If you're not abiding the teaching of Christ, it's my responsibility to warn you, Ezekiel 3.18. If I don't, I'm going to be lost for not taking opportunity to do what love demands, and that's to warn you about what you're going to have to face in judgment. If you have a Bible question or comment, the announcer's already mentioned the number. The lines are wide open. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755. While we're waiting on our first call, I thought we would do a little study here of Romans chapter 6. Uh, kind of one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Maybe not my favorite, but one of my favorites. Romans 6.1, I'm reading out of the King James Version here. If you, if you can, follow along in your Bible. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It's Paul's answering this objection or this reasoning, you might say. It's like somebody saying, look, if we sin, but then we receive forgiveness, hopefully they would say it based upon the death of Christ, that's grace. And so it's better to sin more. That way there'll be more grace, more forgiveness. So Paul's saying, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, God forbid. In other words, absolutely not. You don't sin so that when you receive forgiveness, you get more grace. He says, how shall we that are dead to sin 
live any longer therein. In other words, you're supposed to be dead to sin. Follow up on that commitment you made. You know, we have at least four times kinds of death mentioned in the Bible. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead. So death involves a separation. Physical death is the separation of our spirit from our body. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but we have a caller. Bob from South Dakota. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. So, you know, I was just wondering if it was scriptural to have a woman hired on as a lead pastor. Well, when you say lead pastor, I assume you mean she's doing a lot of the public speaking in the church assemblies. Is that what you mean by that? Yes. And she's Let me got, read you. Um, Go ahead. Uh, let me read you this passage and see what you think, Bob. This is in 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. You don't have your Bible handy, do you? No, but I know the scripture, and that's why I um, have had struggles with it. It says, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, you know what we call the Sunday school class time or the Bible class time when the whole church is not come together in one place. It's not the church assembly. Nobody's opposed to woman, a woman leading a lady's Bible class or a children's class. But in, in the words of verse 23 of this same chapter, if therefore the whole church be come together in one place, when you're done with the Sunday school time and you call come together in the church service, this verse says three times, let your women keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted unto them to speak. And at the end of verse 35, it says it's a shame for women to speak in the church. Does that seem clear to you, Bob, or does it seem ambiguous? No, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. So I think we all know the answer to the question of the, it's the women preachers issue. We know what the Bible teaches. But I think what's going on here, and I've, I've been told, Bob, that about 75% of churches congregations across America will allow a woman to preach from their pulpit. Why, Bob, do you think that number is so high when that verse is so clearly against it? Why do you think that is, Bob? Because they're not following the teachings of the Bible. Yeah. Do you think maybe political correctness is coming into play here? Absolutely. Yeah. Pressure from the outside. We, we want to... We, we want to do what we think is best. And I think women make good teachers. So we're going to let women be the preacher. Uh, political correctness. We're going to be frowned upon and we're going to be considered bigots if we don't let women preach. Or we're, we're, we may lose numbers. The church may dwindle down in number if we don't let women preach. Let me read you another passage, Bob. First Timothy 2, 11 and 12 says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not. That, that means allow not. I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Isn't that saying essentially the same thing that a woman's not to teach nor usurp authority over the man, Bob? Yes, it is. That's pretty clear also. So, so I think what we've got going on, and we've, we've had this for a number of decades. Think of it this way. Bob, are you a sports fan? What, what's your favorite sport? Football. Football. Who, who are you a big fan of? You know, the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings. Okay. I used yeah. to watch them a long time ago. Fran Tarkington was their quarterback, right? Oh, right. Yep. Uh, anyway, 
if you're playing football, don't you need to use the football rule book, right, to play football? Yep. If you're not following the football rule book, Bob, you're not really playing football, are you? That's right. Now, what's the rule book for Christianity, Bob? The Bible. Right. And if we're not really following the Bible, say, for example, we're allowing women to preach from the pulpit, even though the Bible's clearly against it. If we're not really following the Bible, that means we're not really following the rule book for Christianity. Bob, wouldn't that mean we're not really practicing Christianity? Yep, it does. Yeah. You know, we say we believe Jesus is the Son of God. Do we think about what that means? Son of God means he is our authority. So if you really believe Jesus is the Son of God, that means you're going to follow his teaching. And so many people claim to be believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they don't follow his teachings. They may say he's the Son of God, but they don't really believe it. Because if they really believe he is the Son of God, then they would follow his teachings without question, right? I mean, he's God himself. I mean... I've got four children. I, I'm, I'm human, so my four children are human. God has a son, so God's son is going to be divine like him. Not God the Father, but he's God himself. We call him God the Son. If he's God, Jesus is God, if we really believe that, we're going to follow his teachings without question, including we're not going to allow women to preach from the pulpit even if we think it would be best to allow it. Right, Bob? That's right. Bob, you got any follow-up questions before I let you go? Nope. Thank you very much. Have a Appreciate night. your call, Bob. Bye. Appreciate your call. Very good call by Bob. If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. So we're in Romans chapter 6, verse 2. We're talking about really the Bible talks about four types of death. Physical death is the separation of our spirit from our body. When that's the definition, really, of physical death. When the spirit leaves the body, all that's left is a big old hunk of flesh. Now, so death really always involves a separation. That brings us to the second kind of death that we talked about in the Bible, and that's spiritual death. The last verse in this chapter, Romans 6, says the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we get because of our sin is death, is spiritual death. Isaiah 59, verse 2, talking about the Israelites, says their sins had separated them from God. So spiritual death, is the separation of us, our spirit, from God. Just like physical death is the separation of our spirit from our bodies. Number three kind of death that I can recall in the New Testament, for example, Romans 7 verse 4 says we're dead to the law. Remember, death involves a separation, so that would mean we've been separated from the law, meaning the Old Testament law is no longer binding. We're dead to that law. We're separated from it. We don't have to obey the Old Testament law anymore. Instead, we're under the New Testament law. We'll read more about that later in Romans 6. Now, here in Romans 6, verse 2, we have what I'll call the fourth type of death. Death, dead to sin. Well, remember, death involves a separation, so what would that mean? Dead to sin means you separated yourself from sin. So, the question is, should we sin more so we can get more grace, more forgiveness? And he says, God forbid. How that are we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You are supposed to be, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be dead to sin. You're supposed to have separated yourself from sin, dead to sin. So you don't live in sin. You should know better, he's saying. And then he pinpoints the time that we made that commitment to separate ourselves from sin. By the way, the number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open, is 877-655-6755. We're dead to sin, so we shouldn't continue in sin. He says in verse 3, 
Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So he's saying, you remember when you got baptized? Peter told some believers in Acts 2 verse 38, he said to these believers, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So when we're baptized to get the forgiveness of sins, and that's necessary to get the forgiveness of sins, the baptism won't do us any good unless we repent leading up to that baptism. We have to repent. So we, we repent of our sins. We make up our mind. We commit to turning from sin. When we're baptized, we start, we start that new life. We follow through on that commitment. So he says, don't you remember when you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death? And, and we'll finish that, that thought in just a moment. But notice before we do that we're baptized into Jesus Christ. A lot of people think baptism is not important, but according to this verse, unless you're baptized, you're not in Christ. You're outside Christ. And until you're baptized, you don't receive the benefits of his death because this is you're baptized into his death. So if you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death. If you're not baptized, that means you're not in Christ. You're not in a saved relationship with Christ. You're not receiving the benefits of his death. But keep reading verse 4 and 5. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. What he's saying there is that when you were baptized, and this is talking about immersion in water, it's likened to a burial. When somebody, when somebody dies and we take them out to the graveyard to bury them, we don't just sprinkle a little dirt on their head. We put them all the way up under the ground. When we baptize somebody, we're not just going to sprinkle a little water on their head. We're going to put them all the way up under the ground. We're baptized. We've been planted together in the likeness of his death. Water baptism, if it's an immersion, looks like the death and resurrection of Christ. He said, when you did that, you made a commitment when you were baptized to start walking in newness of life. You see that? You were baptized into Christ. You were baptized into his death. And you were supposed to start walking in newness of life when you came up out of the waters of baptism. So that's that's his point. You're supposed to be dead to sin. You made that commitment when you repented and were baptized for the remission of sins. You're supposed to be following through on that commitment. You're supposed to be walking in newness of life. You're supposed to be walking a different way. That's the commitment you made when you repented and were baptized for the remission of sins. Mark from Tennessee, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, um, my understanding of the scriptures is that if you were divorced for any other reason other than infidelity, then you are not to remarry again, uh, otherwise subjection to uh, adultery. Is, I believe that's, I I believe that's exactly that? right, Mark. Um, yeah, let me read for you Matthew 19, verse 9, which says it pretty succinctly. He says, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So whoever puts away his wife except it be for fornication and marries another commits adultery. That's in Matthew 19, right. 9. That's Jesus speaking. That's pretty clear. Let me, let me illustrate it with myself, with my wife, Carol, just for illustrative purposes. So uh, we've been married for 33 years, happily married, but this is saying, and you tell me if you agree, Mark, is saying, look, if she were to cheat on me sexually with another man, I'd have the right to divorce her, and I would have the right Correct. to remarry. But if I divorce her for any other reason, like the most common cause of divorce in Alabama is incompatibility. If I divorce her for incompatibility, yeah. 
marry another. That divorce, God does not approve of it. If I remarry, it's adultery. Follow me, Mark? Right. Now, the same falls for her. If you divorce her, she's under the same guidelines. Yeah, the second part of the verse said, and whoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Whoever marrieth right, her, so which is put away, doth commit adultery. That's correct. So, so, so yes, that's that. right. That's right. If I divorce her for incompatibility, if I remarry, it's adultery. And if she remarries, it's adultery. And and you don't, people say, well, God will forgive you. Yeah, it's just like any other sin. If you repent, you can't just say, I'm sorry for committing adultery and plan to keep committing adultery. So you have to get out of that marriage. Let me tell you why this is so, Mark. I'm going to read to you Romans 7, verses 2 and 3. It says, so then if while her husband, excuse me, verse 2 and 3. It says, for the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So the reason it's adultery, if I divorce my wife for, say, incompatibility and I remarry and she remarries is because... She's bound to me, obligated to me, as long as I live. So as long as I'm alive, if she she gets married to somebody else, she's living in adultery. As long as she's alive, if if I get married to somebody else, the, the state of Alabama <clears throat> may say it's okay for me to remarry, but God didn't say it. He said, you're supposed to stay with your wife for as long as she lives. That's and right. so I'm bound and obligated to her. I commit adultery. Let me ask you a question, uh, <clears throat> Mark. Suppose two gay men got married. You can do that, I think, probably in every state now. Two gay men got married, but they wanted to repent of that and get forgiveness. What would they have to do, Mark? Well, they would have to, I guess, go through some ceremonial divorce and repent. That's right. Could they just say, I'm sorry for this and continue in that sexual relationship? No, absolutely not. So, so if I divorce Carol, let's say for incompatibility and marry Betty, Jesus calls it adultery. If I don't want to repent of that and get forgiveness, can I just say I'm sorry and stay, keep on committing adultery with Betty? No. See the parallel? You have to, I'd have to get out of that marriage with Betty and seek reconciliation with Carol, wouldn't I? Yes. Yeah, that's what a lot of churches have compromised on through the years, Mark. I mean, almost every church will tell you, well, divorce, that's not a good thing. But they won't tell people in second and third marriages that violate Matthew 19.9, they won't tell them that they have to get out of those marriages. Right. I've never heard them say get out of the marriages, but it's very clear. Yeah, it's very clear. I mean, if we look at John the Baptist, this is really, John said this. I'm going to Mark chapter 6, Mark. And this is John the Baptist, and he's saying this while the Old Testament law is still in effect. So I want to, I want to say that up front. But remember, here's, here's Mark 6, 17 and 18, Mark. He says, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Mark's secular history tells us, I mean history from outside the Bible, that Herod had divorced his wife, Herodias had divorced her husband, now they're married, and John says to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her. 
wasn't he implying that he needed to get out of that marriage? Yes. I mean, if I say it's not lawful for you to have something, that means you have to give it up. You can't keep keep possessing right. it, right? Right. That means it's illegal. And that, if it's that's unlawful, what it's unlawful. That's what ninety-five percent of the churches out there in America won't tell. They yeah, not a single know, one the of them. Things, go ahead, Mark. The the other things that they'll use to combat that is, oh, that's just legalism. <laughs> That's they won't tell those. They won't say what John the Baptist said. They won't look to a couple who's in their second marriage and say it's not lawful for you to have her. They won't do that. Meaning you got to get out of this marriage, and they won't do that. Maybe because they're afraid numbers will dwindle down in their congregation or the contribution will go down. But John the Baptist, Mark, was willing to say it, even though what happened to him, Mark? Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah, he, he lost his head. He lost his head. He 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 had to know his life was in danger. You you rebuke oh, yeah. a ruler like that. He, I don't know that he knew it for sure, but he had to know there was a possibility. And even though he he was going to lose his life because of it, he stood for the truth. But we have all kinds of preachers today that won't tell anybody in a divorce and remarriage situation, you got to get out of that marriage because they're afraid the contribution will go down or something like that. Yeah. Things have yeah. certainly changed yeah, since the are. days of John the Baptist, right? Who has that courage? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, we need to, you know, Ephesians will tell us to pray for that courage. <laughs> I agree. We need to pray for it. Mark, any follow-up? No, that's that was fantastic. Thank you for unpacking that for me. Have a Thanks for your time. call, Mark. All right. William from Colorado, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, Patrick, how you doing? I got a quick question. If my spouse committed adultery on me, she's the one that cheated and we got a divorce, that would be biblical. Why would the Lord hold me accountable for something that she did? He wouldn't. Well, if I go out, I am committing adultery by what you're saying. No, if you divorce her because she cheated on you, then the verse in Matthew nineteen nine says you have a right to remarry. So no, you're never going to be held accountable for somebody else's sin this Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. I mean, the Catholic Church and the Calvinists teach that we inherit sin from Adam and Eve, but the Bible teaches you are never held accountable for somebody else's sin. If your wife cheats on you sexually, Jesus said in Matthew 19.9, you have the right to divorce her for that and remarry. But if she doesn't cheat on you, you have no right to divorce her. You have no right to, 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 okay. to contract a second marriage. Well, I believe I've been misunderstanding you then. All right. That was just a quick, quick question. So well, i tell you what you can do. Hey, William, here's day. what you can do. Yeah. To understand exactly what I'm teaching on this and what I believe about it, all you got to do is just read Matthew 19, 9 and Romans 7, 2, and 3. You just believe exactly what it says, and you'll know exactly what I believe. Okay? I don't deviate right. from that um, scripture. I mean, most people don't care about those verses. They're not going to teach the truth on it, but I believe exactly what those verses plainly say. It may be hard to okay. follow, but those verses are not hard to understand. Okay, now if we get, get, get a divorce, say, for incompatibility, we both go out and marry, we are both committing adultery. Yeah, it says if you divorce her yeah, for another okay. reason and you marry another, right, you commit adultery, you. and whoever marries her commits adultery. Matthew nineteen nine. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Appreciate your call, William. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So 
I'm going to have to go off the air in just a minute or two, but I just wanted to say a little bit more about Romans 6. In Romans 6, and we'll try to continue this maybe next week, the point is, when we become a Christian, when we repent and we get baptized, when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into the benefit of his death, we're making a commitment that we're going to walk in newness of life. And God expects you to follow through on that commitment. You made a commitment when you repented, you got baptized in water, you got the remission of sins, you you went in baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death, meaning the benefits of his death. You're supposed to walk in newness of life. God expects you to follow through on that commitment. Hopefully we can continue that discussion next week. But if you'd like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753. Free one-hour phone Bible study at your convenience, 256-682-9753. Please call or text me and be sure and listen next week at this same time.